Wretched Radio begins in 3, 2, 1. If the God of the Bible really exists, I would go gladly to hell. And anybody happy to go to heaven to worship such a creature is morally bankrupt. It is because God's wrath is real that his mercy is relevant. Unless you have a real wrath, the biblical concepts of mercy and of grace are robbed of their meaning. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Surprise! Hey, how you doing? Great program. I really liked it. Well, actually, I was just wondering to You be the host. Hello. Hello, this is Wretched Radio, your new host, the one, the only, it's not Charles Spurgeon, it is the one, it is the only, Jimmy Hicks. Jimmy Congratulations, you commandeered the program you sent to me last week based on a conversation we had where you misattributed a really good quote Uh, to Charles Spurgeon. Yeah, I know. And and I'm not going to tell you who said it. Oh, no. No, it, it, it it was me. It was you. It was really good. What did you say last week that I thought would be helpful for all of us? Um, a sign of your spiritual maturity is how well you disagree with others. Mm-hmm. And so the quote, what I was listening to, I don't remember what I was listening to. I couldn't find it, but I had two Spurgeon quotes written on my notes. And then I had a quote that said, a sign of your spiritual maturity uh, was how, do, how, how much do you hate your sin? Mm-hmm. And then I wrote under right underneath that, um, how well do you disagree with others? Mm-hmm. And that was an addition that I made, and I just missed it. So you think you're competing with Spurgeon, do you? I, it's close. Well, it's close. You know, you could have attributed it to Spurgeon. He was so prolific. Right. Who except Phil Johnson would even know if you were? That's this is sort of like reverse plagiarism. You're actually ascribing to him something that he didn't say. Even so. You put together a list of 20 signs, 20 tests of spiritual maturity. I actually added a couple. Okay, good. Two. Yeah. Good. So your 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 format for this and this is the exam that we're all going to take to check our spiritual maturity. How do you view fill in the blank? Right. And so you said how do you view disagreeing with others or or how do you view people who disagree with you? Right. Right. And how do you engage with them, et cetera? The second one you said is how do you view sin? Yeah. And 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 the view that you you and I should have is an ever increasing understanding of the disgusting nature of sin. Right. And it's it's never gonna be to the depths that it should be. I don't need that'll be interesting. God has different attributes. Some he communicates to us, others uh-uh. So while we have a little bit of knowledge, we don't have omniscience. We have a little bit of power. It's puny, but he has omnipotence. And But there are certain things that is about God that we will never get to a as full of an understanding. And I wonder if it's our view of sin. I think there are hints in the Bible that we are going to have a better understanding of sin because, and I think it was Charles Spurgeon who said this. <laughs> Why not? Maybe it was that theologian Jimmy Hicks who said this. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> consider the consider the saints that we that we hear about in the book of Revelation. How long, O oh Lord? How long till vengeance? How long? 
Now, these are people who had been martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ. They're wanting justice, you know, biblical justice, the kind that we're supposed to be after. It seems that their longing for justice to be done implies that perhaps they're growing in an understanding of of the terrible nature of sin and wickedness. Furthermore, that we recognize that saints in heaven are fully aware of hell. They know what is happening in the place of eternal conscious torment. And there's still no tears. There's no sorrows. There's no sin. They're aware of hell. And most likely, they even know that there are loved ones of theirs in hell. And yet, they don't go, you know, I'm just not happy anymore. I'm not pleased. This is awful. No, they get it. Now, we're never going to get it to the level that God gets it. I remember the quote from Paul Washer who I think took it from either Charles Spurgeon or Jimmy. And he said he said something along the lines of, it was his mother who said to him when he was a child, and she didn't think that he was saved, son, someday when you die, and God judges you and sentences you to an eternity in hell, I will join the angels and the saints in heaven in standing up and applauding his decision. Oh, you know, that might explain Paul Washer to a degree. (laughs) Just a little bit. (laughs) But that's the way that we, we will not be sad about hell. And I think it's because we're going to have an increased understanding of the hideous nature of sin. And that is what should be growing in us if we are maturing in Christ. I once read a quote. I think I actually remember who it was, but. There's no reason to bring his name up. And he said something to the uh, to the extent that, you know, he's pretty much advanced in his sanctification. Doesn't expect a whole lot more that's going to be happening until he dies. And I remember thinking, I wonder what he's thinking, because I don't think that's correct. We should be forever growing in our understanding of sin. We should be forever growing in our understanding of sanctification. We should see more and more victory in sin and not be confused when we discover a new sin. That doesn't mean we're not saved. It means that the Holy Spirit is working on us, and that should be a lifelong progression. Speaking of heaven, Jimmy, I don't know if you know this song. It was, I, it was we, I turned on The Thing. You know, I don't want to get all technical here with the lingo, but it's the thing I've got on my phone that the kids installed for me. The so, Spotify? I guess so. Okay. I can. I, it might be Pandora. Ah, yeah, that's one too. Okay. I push I push two buttons, and then it, it lets me play pretty much anything in the universe, uh, except I won't pay for it, so I get commercials because <laughs> I can't do it. And so we, I was listening to – I changed it from the hymns channel because – I'd, I'd have enough had enough of Getty music for the day because that's all they seem to play on the hymns channel. Aren't there anybody else singing hymns these days? So I thought, all right, I'm going to think back to the 90s and the early 2000s. Who were the big names then? Because I think that music back then, sorry for the longing for yesterday, but I think the music was, the contemporary music was more theologically thoughtful 
and more worshipful. I was thinking about Twyla Paris. Do you remember Twyla Paris? She was she was as ubiquitous as the Gettys are these days in contemporary radio. And her stuff was very worshipful. Where did those days go? So I thought Stephen Curtis Chapman. I'll just I'll just put his name in because he he was kind of the big boy at the time. And it was actually a pretty decent collection of music. And one of the songs that came on, it caused me to grab the phone and go, what is this? I, I can't recall even who was singing it, but it sounded like it may have been kind of a, an old Southern sort of affair about heaven and what we will see there and what we won't see there. No, it wasn't I Can Only Imagine. By the way, Dennis Quaid has a new Christian album out. And does he? Yeah, does he, he sure really? does. Yeah. If this wasn't, I, I'm not making that up. I can only imagine it was It was about heaven. And the line that struck me was the only scars that will be in heaven are on the hands that will hold you. What a beautiful way of saying we, 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 are, we are not going to have maladies. We're not going to have marks of the fall on us, but there will be one who does. The only scars in heaven are going to be on the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. You, you, you want to see a, a physical, visual reminder of pain and suffering? you got to go see your Savior. And as he holds out his hands and you see the scars, we will be forever reminded of what he went through for us, that we might live and inherit a place where there are no more tears, no more sorrow, no more suffering. And by the way, I don't know if that's on your list, Jimmy. What's that? Heaven? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Is it that is, on your list? It is. How do you view heaven? Oh, there it is, number 15. There's a lot of them here. Yeah. All y'all. <laughs> I hate to break it. How do you view heaven? Increasingly, it should be a longing. And it'll happen to you, by the way, if, 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 you're, if you're thinking I'm kind of stymied in that department, I'm stunted in my heavenly growth, hang in there because as the decades continue to just go tick, 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 your perspective is going to change. I'm telling you, God, <laughs> here's an understatement, God has this figured out. If, if you aren't looking forward to heaven yet, as much as you might be enjoying life and that swell that you do, I promise you, everything that's shiny becomes very dim. Every everything that seems exciting becomes very. I done that before. See, nah, I don't need to. I don't. I don't have that yearning and longing to go there, do that, purchase this. It just isn't there anymore. And that's a part of the sanctification process and the aging process. And you will discover if you are not longing for heaven, just wait. Whatever, everybody's number is different, but you're going to hit a number on your on your calendar, and all of a sudden, heaven is going to be the place we long for like we're supposed to. This is Wretched Radio. Busy, busy, busy. Last year, Preborn Ministries provided over 92,000 ultrasounds, 54,000 babies were saved, 69 ultrasound machines were placed, 10,000 people responded to the gospel. Preborn Ministries, very busy, saving babies, 
saving souls, would you please consider partnering with Preborn Ministries? $28 per ultrasound, five ultrasounds, $140. Yes, they are expensive, but they save lives. And Preborn Ministries uses good equipment with trained specialists, which is why the success rates are so staggeringly high at saving lives with preborn. Please consider supporting preborn at preborn.org slash wretched, preborn.org slash wretched. Are you tired of feeling like you're living in a world that makes no sense? Do you find yourself constantly questioning the meaning of life? Well, this Independence Day, you can change all of that and we can help can formulate a biblical worldview by picking up the Wretched Worldview Bundle. The Wretched Worldview Bundle includes Seasons 1 and 2 of Wretched Worldview along with their study guides. And with this bundle, you'll get a biblical perspective that can help you make sense of this crazy upside-down world. For a limited time, you can get the Worldview Bundle for just $29.99. So don't spend another day feeling like you're lost and confused. Just get the Worldview Bundle today and start seeing the world through a biblical lens. Pick up your Worldview Bundle right now by visiting wretched.org slash worldview. Confession, normally numbers aren't my favorite subject, but these numbers make me happy. MediShare is affordable biblical health sharing with twice the satisfaction rate of MediShare members versus traditional health insurance plans. The average family saves $500 per month. Over $3 billion worth of medical bills have been shared among MediShare members, which by the way, MediShare has been around for a quarter of a century. Don't forget, telehealth is available at MediShare and it will take you two minutes to receive a quote to see what you and your family could be saving every single month with MediShare. Affordable biblical health sharing. Please spend a very worthwhile two minutes at 844-34-BIBLE, 844-34-BIBLE. Know your church fathers. Gregory of Nazianzus was the bishop of Constantinople in the 4th century. He wrote important works on the Trinity and the person of Christ. Gregory described the relationship between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and taught that Jesus is fully God and fully man. His arguments are still in use today. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. How you doing on the test? This is Wretched Radio, a spiritual maturity test compiled mostly by our very own Jimmy Hicks. Very helpful list in helping us to see in very pithy fashion, how am I doing? How am I doing? How am I doing? We want to remember first John at a moment like this, because you might take some sort of spiritual maturity test or in the five chapters of first John, John lays out a bunch of tests, how to know you're saved. Got to be careful with that because there are many Christians who have stubbed their toes on thinking, wait, I didn't do well on that particular question. Therefore, I'm not a Christian. Don't do that. Don't rush to that judgment. Now, obviously, there are times when a list like this can actually awaken somebody to the knowledge, hey, wait, 
I'm not growing at all. None of these things matter. Something's wrong with me. That's good. But don't don't adopt that attitude when you take a test, a spiritual maturity or are you truly saved test and think you don't measure up. Because here's the reality, even as we go about the business of getting better and better, we realize how bad we are increasingly, simultaneously. I see more good. Wow. Am I disgusted by the bad? That's the Christian life. So don't hear one of these and go, oh, I'm not longing for heaven the way that I should. I'm not saved. No, it means now you know. So get to work on it. That's all. Start focusing a little bit more on heaven. Start thinking a little bit more on heaven. You just start doing a word study. I'm telling you, this is one of my favorite ways of, I don't do this all the time. But, but when I finish perhaps reading a book in the Bible, it's sort of like a sermon series at church. The pastor finishes the book, and then it's like, which one is next? Do you ever go through that conundrum? All right, I just finished, I just finished reading 1 Samuel. And I thought, you know, I could read 2 Samuel, but I'm not feeling it. So I jumped to the Gospel of Mark just because. And I'll go who knows where. But when you perhaps are in one of those, what should I be doing now? Pick a word, any word. I'm going to be doing that soon. Good, I can't can't wait. I'm writing a letter to some friends, and I'm going to do a word study on one Bible word. And that means I've got to grab my concordance, and I'm going to go running all over the Bible to read about it. Fun! Okay, fine. I'm a Christian geek. I love that type of stuff. It's like, okay, oh, look at the, oh, look at the little cross references right there. Oh, I can go look at that one. For instance, let's see if I can find it today. Last night when I was reading through Mark, did I mention I'm reading through the Gospel of Mark? It was in Mark chapter 8. And I heard, saw Jesus. I didn't hear him because I wasn't reading my Bible out loud. (laughs) The word said that Jesus began teaching them that he had to suffer. And I went, wait a second. I thought that was in Matthew. So I look at my little cross-reference verses. And sure enough, it's in Matthew 16. But then it also said something about 1 Thessalonians 2. So I go over there, and it's like, well, it's kind of related, but it sure is an interesting verse. What are the cross-references? And the next thing I know, I'm like just bouncing all over the place. It's kind of exciting. It's kind of fun. I'm not saying that should be the entirety of your appetite, but I think that it should be at least a part of it to break it up. It's a tool in your kit, let's say. Then they departed from there, from Galilee. He taught his disciples and said to them, The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise the third day. And he went on, then Matthew 16 says, that he began teaching them that he had to suffer. Why was I thinking about that verse? Because I'm going to be doing a sermon on what Paul did when he went out evangelizing. He reasoned with people from the scriptures about what? What was it apologetics? Was it creation apologetics? Has its wonderful place, but that's not what he did. Did did he somehow use the Old Testament manu- manuscripts? We we got the manuscript. It's accurate. No, he didn't use that. He reasoned with them from the scriptures that the Messiah had to suffer. And I thought it didn't start with Paul. 
It started with Jesus. Jesus was the one who told them, what you're going to see, this is the plan. I'm going to suffer for you. And when we spend time focusing on that suffering, let me tell you, it will increase your longing for heaven, which is a sign of spiritual maturity. Uh, Back to the list of Jimmy Hicks. How do you view God? Is it getting... Is it getting more? Maybe not the same. In fact, I would actually go this far. Okay, I'm going to take this an extra yard. The number of times when people experience a, a, a diminishing of their warm, enthusiastic affection for the Lord tends to put them in a state of panic. What happened? I've lost that love and feeling. And I'm and I'm trying to get it back, but I I, I can't, and I and I want to feel that again. And I have said that's normative. The same way with marriage, it the heady buzzed. Ooh, it's all so exciting. It just changes, but it gets replaced with something. And I have said that the same thing is true in the Christian walk. That same bzzz that you had in the beginning. It's going to change just like it does in a marriage, and it shouldn't make you feel bad. But now I want to go a step further. That better be happening. That should be happening. If the excited, wow, I just want to read the Bible every second. I don't want to leave the house. I just want to put my nose in this book. If that if that's changed, it should be getting replaced with another deeper understanding of God. One of his attributes is imminence and yet his transcendence his righteous standard, and yet his amazing goodness in stooping to make us righteous, it should be growing. If it's not, um, might be something you might want to turn your attention to. How do you view yourself? How do you think about you? Very I, highly. Well, I. it's funny because we can all say, yes, I agree with that statement. My favorite subject is me. I can say it. You can say it. We all can say it. I love me some me because it's me. <laughs> Just amazing. Really. Just amazing. And my view of myself should be less me. Yich me. Amazing Savior. Don't lose that balance because if all you do is focus on how sinful and awful you are and forget how amazing the Savior is, well, then you're just going to be depressed. You're going to lack assurance. Remember, despite your sins, he saved you. And that balanced perspective will give you joy and keep you humble simultaneously. How do you view yourself? How do you view Jesus? How do you view the cross? How do you view the church? That's one where a lot of us might go, Dad, ah, the local church. The church triumphant, the church invisible, the church that that you you don't even know exists on the other side of the planet. You're a member of that. How do you view it? Increasingly, if we're growing in maturity, and don't forget this just might be a mark you need to turn your attention to. It doesn't disqualify you from the kingdom, but our our view and attitude toward the church, it it should be increasingly robust, warm, glad. Because that's the best place in the world. 
with my local congregation doing the things that our master has prescribed for us in worship and living. It's the best place in the world, and increasingly we should be feeling that way. Question, do you? How do you view scripture? What's your attitude? Do you just want you just want some piffle sermons, or do you increasingly want expository preaching that goes deeper and deeper and deeper? How do you view prayer? If you've neglected it, and you have no plan for getting it on track, um, that's not good. In fact, I've forget the Jimmy Hicks list. I've heard some dead guys. Let's just attribute it to Charles Spurgeon. Say, you 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 want to tell me what kind of a Christian you are? You, tell me about your prayer life. I'm going to know. You're not praying? Mm, I'm skeptical about anything you're going to say about the state of your soul. It's that big of a deal. So if you have not been trying, we all know it's a challenge. If you haven't been trying, I would encourage you. In fact, I'll tell you how I would do it. Not that you can get it in time for Christmas or anything. We have a book on our website. You can't get it anywhere. Sold out. It's the... It's the COVID thing, Jimmy. Uh, yeah, yeah, everything's the supply lines these days. Mm. <laughs> Everything, everywhere. Everything is supply lines. It, does, it doesn't matter. It's like, um, excuse me, um, can you tell me why, uh, why this restaurant is, is so cold? Yeah, supply lines. What? What does that have to do? I don't even know what. what, what everything is supply lines. We have something for you. You can order it, but you just can't get it. <laughs> Thank the COVID. It's it's a book called Praying the Scriptures. It'll guide you through your prayer life every single day by quoting God's word back to him and keeping you ordered in your thinking. Because if a Christian is maturing, a Christian is doing more praying. This is Wretched Radio. Important dates in Christian history. 1206. Francis of Assisi renounces wealth and goes on to lead a band of poor friars preaching the simple life. The 13th century saw the rise of a number of monastic orders dedicated to simple living and social engagement. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Not only does he make a great list, wow, is he cynical. This is Wretched Radio, (laughs) lamenting the excuse that is so often tossed about these days when you can't get something. Supply lines. Yeah, it's the the supply chain. Do you know what that means? No, but that's what they told us to say because we're out of just about everything these days. And Jimmy... You rather cynically said they're not out of everything (laughs) all the time. No, no. You can find uh, COVID vaccines Mm, everywhere. That seems to be be working. Yeah. Masks there. Uh Not out of those. Yeah. That seems the supply chain seems to be working sometimes now, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) All right, Jimmy. Yes. Let's just see before we return to your list on testing our spiritual maturity. What kind of a dad you are? Oh my goodness! Yeah, be, because this? because I just got a text reminding me that I've got an upcoming dental appointment. <laughs> yeah, do you know what dentist time is? Do I know what dentist time is? Yeah, uh, yes. What is it? It's two <laughs> thirty. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Two thirty. Two thirty. Two thirty. Yeah. Guess what my appointment is? Two thirty. Two thirty. 
I'm really longing for that. This is a list created by the rather cynical Jimmy Hicks to help us all with our spiritual maturity. A number of things that you can regularly do, not constantly, but on occasion, just do a little inventory because a list like this, it it should just spur you on. Oh, you know what? I've been a little neglectful in that area. I haven't been filling the blanking, filling in the blanking. Why not? As much as I should. Well, then you can just turn your attention toward it and get on her. The list continues. How are you doing in spiritual maturity? Jimmy, what spurred this entire affair was how you how you disagree with people. Yeah, how well do you disagree? I actually busted it into two. Okay. How well do you disagree with believers? How well do you disagree with unbelievers? Yes. Yes. And that, that, mm, that it is that that'll uh, there's a difference there. Well, there we we should be loving in both arenas. Quite honestly, there there's no reason to not be nice to unbelievers. Exactly, you can you can communicate without sounding like you're torqued. It can be done, and it should. No, it must be done. This might be one that tags you. I I I know that it does me, because I I I have to tell you. I don't mind the idea of fighting. Doesn't bother me. I just you want to you want to wrangle. Okay, let's let's go. But that's not the Christian posture. The Christian posture isn't like like one of those those old boxing pictures where the guy you know he's got his fists up like he's ready. Come on, this is the pose picture for the big upcoming fight. That's that's not how we should be standing around. We shouldn't have our hands in our pockets either, but we shouldn't be pugnacious, not constantly. And if that isn't changing in you at all, maybe this could be the jump start for beginning to speak truth in love, for beginning to engage a little differently, to perhaps stop being motivated with an incendiary desire to just burn it down. Instead, I want to win people. I want to love people. I want to stay in people's lives. I'm telling you, I could, we'll air this one of these days. Perry Atkinson from Dub Network, he was in here a week or two ago. How time flies. And he, to me, just personifies that. He, he just personifies that. And he, he said something interesting. I don't know if I shared this because it, it stuck with me. He, he he happens to run a Christian TV network, TV and radio station in Oregon. Or, 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 Oregon. 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 Sure, they love it when we pronounce <laughs> it like that. And he's been involved in politics, and a lot of politicians will come to him for advice. And he will say to them, here's what you do. If you want to win, stop campaigning against the other guy. Start campaigning for the people. Stop telling everybody what's wrong with him and start telling everybody what you are going to do for them. And his observation over the years has been that when people, when they, when they heed that warning, they win. And when they don't, they lose. Now, muckracking has been going on for a long time. Can it work? Yep, it sure can. It, it, it is effective. That's why we keep doing it isn't it? But non-Christianity, there's no reason that we should be constantly hacking away at things that we perceive to be wrong. 
Now, having said that, the illustration falls down right there because there are times when we mark those who cause division, but that isn't our posture. So if you're lurched and responding to everything with kind of a... Now that it, I wouldn't say it that way. No, that's uh, yeah, that that article's pretty good. But you know what? I would have. I think I would have. That sermon from the pastor, it was good. But you know what he did? You know what he does all the time? That really bug. Why doesn't he get that? Then you maybe need to adjust. It's not weakness to be kind and loving. It's actually a sign of maturity. How are you doing in that department? I suspect we could all use a little work, especially Jimmy. How do you view, I don't know that you, did you have this one? How do you view authority? Yes. Was that yours? Mm -hmm. That's a good one right there. Yep. Once again, our posture toward authority is submission. Doesn't mean we can't ever say, I can't do that because I must obey God. But we aren't rebellious. We we, we aren't, aren't the ones who go to the war. With, with our authorities, we obey God. That would be my encouragement. I, th- I think this might, I'm working on an article on this because I, I want to contribute something helpful to the conversation these days about the issue of submission. I want it to be really helpful. And, 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 and what I've noticed is that we, we're using a lot of words these days that are all loaded with an awful lot of potential for uh, turning us into anarchists. And I don't think that's anybody's intention. But I, I just think we need to watch out for words like resist, defy. No, I, that's that's not. Our posture is of submission. But when the government behaves in a certain way, overreaches its authority into the church realm of authority, when it commands us to sin, when it forbids us from obeying a command— we don't rebel. We don't resist. We are submissive people who obey God when somebody in authority commands us to do otherwise. I just think that's a more helpful framing of the issue. I'll let you know how that article comes out. How do you view obedience to God? How do you view false teachers? Here's maybe a little slice of the false teacher pie that will help you see if your if your if your balance and understanding of false teachers is correct. I don't know about you, but the subject of false teachers it kind of fascinates me. Why? Because it plays into my pugnacious nature. <laughs> it's also it sings to my pride. That guy doesn't know theology. What's the implication? I sure do. And so I I look at them down my nose. And they are to be marked and avoided. But shouldn't I also love them? Shouldn't I care that they're going to be damned and perhaps to the worst place in hell? I I, I don't know how God has this organized, but we know that there are different levels of suffering in hell. It would be better for Chorazin. It would be better for Sodom. It would be better, in other words, Based on knowledge and sins, hell is going to be hotter for different people. I don't know how it's organized, but I think I could make a pretty strong case that those who are going to receive the worst are the false teachers, because that's the highest crime you can commit. You you misrepresent God. You use God to turn people into merchandise, which is what a false teacher does. Ooh, it's going to be nasty. 
And I need to remember that. And so when I think about the false teacher, I need to be motivated by love to speak the truth so that maybe even the false teacher will hear it and be saved. How are you viewing false teachers? How do you view hell? How do you view the Holy Spirit? Perhaps you come out of a movement where the Holy Spirit, one of the most abused doctrines in all of Christendom these days. Are you understanding that he's fully God? Not just a spirit, not just a feeling, not just there to run errands for us. He's God who dwells in us, the Spirit of Christ in us. How do you view the Holy Spirit? How do you view serving? Do you do it? Do you want to? Should be increasing. I'll tell you, one of the things, I'll just little inside baseball for you. Anytime that I get to be in a room with the older, the, 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 big, the big guys in evangelical Christianity, they almost trip over one another to serve people. <laughs> it's just staggering. I've seen this over and over again. I've, I've had a meal with a high-profile guy. Oh, let me get that. Let me clear that for you. No, no, I'll go get it. They're, they're, they, they just want to serve. It's a sign of spiritual maturity that we desire to do that because they're growing in their esteem for others and diminishing their esteem for themselves. It is a sign of spiritual maturity. How are you doing in that regard? This is Wretched Radio. So, you're not convinced of the importance of training men to rightly divide the word of truth and fill pulpits internationally? Fine. Then we'll let Paul Washer convince you. It is so important, not just important, it's absolutely essential to have a trained expositor of the scripture in every church. When we read through the book of Acts, we can see that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ, advances as the word of God advances. Would you please consider joining the Master's Academy International in filling empty pulpits with men who can exposit the scriptures and advance the kingdom of God It's a magnificent ministry with a generational impact. Please learn more about supporting TMAI at wretched.org slash pastor. Wretched.org slash pastor for the Master's Academy International. Hey, thanks for tuning in and listening to Wretched Radio today. And to our gospel partners, I also want to say thank you. You know, you're the backbone of this ministry. Our mission to spread the gospel to millions all over the world rests solely on your shoulders. And as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. And that's exactly what you're doing as a Wretched Gospel partner. You're choosing to stand firm with us. And the promise we make to you is to all Always, always, always be faithful with your donations. As a matter of fact, that's something we strive for. We strive to steward God's money as if eternity depended on it. We want to be accountable to our gospel partners because it's your faithful and consistent support that helps us keep the lights on and spread the gospel to millions. To continue standing firm with us, just visit wretched.org slash donate. Wretched, amazing grace, amazing gospel. Awesome. Good news. Two encouragements from the Tomorrow Clubs. They have hundreds of weekly kids meeting clubs in Eastern Europe, but now they've expanded to Africa. 
And the kids are swarming the Tomorrow Clubs. They have never seen greater attendance than the hundreds of new clubs that they are opening up in Africa. That should encourage all of us. The gospel is going forth and reaching kids in unreached places. Encouragement number two, would you like to become a Tomorrow Clubs ministry partner? Your support will help the Tomorrow Clubs open up even more Tomorrow Clubs and reach even more kids with the gospel. Please consider becoming a ministry partner at tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Books of the Bible. The book of James is much like Proverbs for the New Testament employing a concise and memorable style with a simple yet profound message. Christians should think and act like Christians. It is very easy to understand, but exceptionally difficult to obey. This ought to lead us to repentance and a fresh reliance upon the grace of God. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Freel. When is this list going to end? Not soon. This is Wretched Radio. Jimmy Hicks concocting 20 tests of spiritual maturity. I added four more, Jimmy. But that's that's not much. You came up with 20 great ways to just take a little examination time. How am I doing in all of these areas? It doesn't disqualify you if you're not doing real great in one of these. But it can be an impetus to get you on it. So he came up with 20. We've ultimately got 24. Jimmy, let me let me let me just let me give you an example of an attitude that is radically changed regarding one of our spiritual tests. Okay. How do you view suffering? Mm. How do you deal with it? Yeah. How do you cope? I am persuaded that the I don't know that I want to say the greatest need in the local church is this, but it's it's right up there. You know, the greatest need is always right preaching, teaching, mature elders. But one, but one of one of the great needs is helping people deal with their suffering, their hurt, disappointment, heartache, the the devastation that 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 life so often delivers to us. People need to increasingly have the tools available in their kit to help them deal with difficult things. The issue of suffering, does anybody escape it? Really, seriously, does anybody escape it? I'll, I'll bet if I even pressed on you right now, you would say, yeah, there's that thing. It's with my second cousin. It's just something. The health, the job the career, the future, the kids, the prodigals, the school, all of it just comes bearing down on people. And we increasingly should be seeing suffering in the way that God intends it for his children, not as punishment for our sins. Not because he's just wanting to play around. Let's just let's just see how the little mice do with that shock treatment. Nope, not the way he delivers it. It is always for us to learn something. Here's a testimony to that end. I got to tell you, this is beautiful. Stephen wrote this. Shortly after our second child was born, I was having a lot of headaches. 
After almost getting my family in a car accident, <laughs> I went to the ER where I learned I have multiple sclerosis and I was attack that was attacking my brain and spinal cord. This caused me to turn a lot of things around in my life. More importantly, I started to think about God. I received a free booklet from, well, this letter would have been better if it had been from us, but it was from Ligonier Ministries, a booklet titled God is Holy. After reading about Isaiah and how he was coming apart and undone before God, that's probably was taken that God is holy. That was probably taken from R.C.'s book, The Holiness of God. It is a must-read. You, you will, you will see God differently. Believe me, you'll see yourself differently, Miss R.C. He received this booklet after reading about Isaiah, how he came apart because of the sins of his mouth. I had the realization I have just sinned with my mouth. Not only that, I've sinned with my heart and with my thoughts as well. After hearing the gospel multiple times throughout my life, for the first time, I actually heard the gospel at the age of 32, when I understood why I needed to be saved. Now, here comes the punchline. I would rather have MS and heard the gospel than not have MS and have continued in my old ways. I believe God used it for my good. Amen. That's amazing. That's this. Here you go. Here's here's the high watermark that we can strive for. And speaking of the tongue, which Stephen pointed out, there's another test of your spiritual maturity. How do you view your tongue? Huh? Do you see it as increasingly powerful? Because it is. It can set a forest ablaze. It it can turn around a ship. It is. Very powerful to either tear down or build up. Are you, all of these things shouldn't be running around in our brains all the time. But have you, have you maybe engaged with some of these tests? Have you thought through your tongue about how you're using it? Because we are commanded to be edifying people. We're supposed to be lifting up, not, not just ripping down. And, and and increasingly, we should be recognizing, well, I can do a lot of damage or I could do a lot of good with this tongue. I could either be really critical or really encouraging. Don't know about you. I got some work to do on that. How do you view the world? How do you view culture? Are you loving it more or are you despising it more? The world system. We enjoy the things of this world, but we don't buy into the world system. And we see its wiles and its schemes and its low falsehoods. And increasingly, it's like, eh, just, just get me to heaven. How do you view the office of elder? Do you have increasing respect for those men? They are men at your church, right? How do you view preaching. Do you increasingly want deeper and deeper and deeper, better and better and better? That's a sign of spiritual maturity. And then the last one on my list, Jimmy, which is one that people tend to get kind of impassioned about. How do you view worship? Hmm. Huh? What's your theology of worship? Form and function, they walk hand in hand. You will rarely see one without the other. 
Your worship is reflective of your theological depth regarding God. The deeper your knowledge, the higher your view of God, the deeper and higher your worship. That's the formula. Simple as that. And so we should be mindful that worship, I should increasingly be wanting it to be more betterer, more deeper, more richer, more sound. In other words, what I'm trying to say is not Bethel Hill song and elevation music. That's basically what I'm trying to say in a nutshell right there. Not to name names or anything, because I wouldn't name the names of Bethel Hill song and elevation, because, well, that's just a big no-no these days, which could maybe be another spiritual gift or a spiritual test, rather. How do you feel when people name names? Because <laughs> we should, rightly. I think I just saw a list. I think there are about six or eight different times in the New Testament. We see people's names labeled bad dude, Fagellus, Hymenaeus, bad dudes. Mark them. Stay away from them. It's okay to name names sometimes. It shouldn't be perpetual. It shouldn't be constant. It shouldn't be the totality of our discernment skills. But we need to recognize there are times when you just got to say it, and it kind of takes us back to the spiritual maturity test about the false teacher. It is a kindness to the false teacher to name the false teacher. Now, have some of these people who are just obvious, obvious false teachers, the prosperity guys that we all think of. As soon as I say prosperity teacher, you think of probably X, Y, the same guys, the same circus. Is, isn't it interesting that they have no doubt seen videos done critiquing them on the internet? No doubt they have. It's like Teflon. They just they justify it in their own minds. They actually believe they persuaded themselves they're doing good. But I, I think that answers the question rightly. Does a false teacher know he's a false teacher? And I think the answer is no. Some do. But I think overall, they're deceived and deceiving. And so they have bought into it. They think that they're doing good for people by saying, give this money, you'll get a blessing. While they then go live in a penthouse and fly their private jets. They're deceived, and they go about deceiving. And so we want to use their names in hopes that the Lord will use that to get their attention. Pointing out false teachers by name, it is a kindness to the false teacher. It is also, by the way, a kindness to people who are true teachers. Any preacher that's worth his salt, if he's listening to Christian talk radio, a podcast, and somebody says, you know, there's this guy. Oh, he's teaching some stuff, man, about, about the doctrine of atonement that's really kind of sketchy. And I'm telling you, every true teacher is going, okay, hold on. Where, where am I at with the doctrine of atonement? Do I understand this correctly? Am I, is he talking about me? And if we don't name names sometimes, it, it isn't a kindness to, well, frankly, anybody. So what do we do with this list ultimately? We turn our attention to the issues that need to be addressed. But more than that, here's the sad fact. We all fail this test. None of us are doing all of these things the way that we should. Frankly, none of us are doing any of these things the way that we should. Does that thought drive us to despair? Nope. 
It drives us to the Savior who did everything excellently. He credits it to us. And that is the knowledge that you need when you read a list like this. I'm not doing what I should, but there is one who did it all and he gave it to me. And that is the motivation for striving to do better on our spiritual maturity tests. Until tomorrow, go serve your king.